Welcome to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Magic Valley Bible Church has been serving the Magic Valley for 20 years and is located at the corner of Gooding and Main Street in downtown Twin Falls, Idaho. Our service starts at 9 a.m. and is streamed live on our YouTube channel. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible. Magic Valley Bible Church, built on God's Word. and turn to Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4. It always is the preacher's dilemma when he approaches the pulpit to determine uh, what study uh, is going to be presented to the people and, and, and yet in the midst of dynamics in life and he's always editing uh, on his feet. Um, of course, power of the Spirit does a great job in helping a weak man. And so I say all that because I have about an hour's worth of material to fit in 20 minutes. We'll trust that the Lord's going to guide and direct, and He does often, and so I'm not concerned, and neither should you. Let us pray. Father, again, thank You for the joy it is to, to come to Your Word, to have it sift our souls, to have it pierce our thoughts, to wage war with what we think is right and good. Father, we pray that the Word of God and the Holy Spirit will have its way, that we wouldn't fight the truth, but yet to submit to it. Lord, we praise You. We give you the glory for all things. Our only hope in this life is Jesus Christ. The victory over sin is won by Him. The resurrection of death has been performed by Him. And so we come with hearts desiring to submit our souls to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Be with your servant as he desires to honor you with what is said. May you echo in our ears. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Jonah 4. I want to read our our passage and. It's only going to be about five verses. I want to start back at verse 10. Darren's already read this, but I want to draw our attention to this in context as we launch into a new chapter. The Word of God reads this, When God saw their deeds, and they turned from their wicked way, then God relented, concerning the calamity excuse me, which He had declared He would bring upon them. And he did not do it. But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to 
forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. Then the Lord said, Do you have good reason to be angry? This morning we begin this last chapter of this minor prophet. Remember, this chapter falls on the heels of God displaying His grace and mercy to the city of Nineveh, where according to verse 11 of chapter 4, more than 120,000 souls were saved. Remember, Nineveh was a Gentile nation, and God sent His prophet to proclaim His message of judgment. Nineveh, unless they repent and believe, they will be destroyed. And because of this, the city did just that. They repented and they believed. They heard the prophet's message. And verse 10 of chapter 3 tells us that God relented, which means that instead of showing his, his hand of justice, he shows his hand of grace and mercy. This, beloved, is one of the greatest revivals that we see in the pages of the Bible, let alone in the annuals of human history. The angels in heaven were rejoicing to a heightened pinnacle of hallelujahs as souls came to Christ, came to God. God displayed His hand of grace and mercy, and no doubt the world took notice. For that matter, one would think that as this truth reached the ears of the Israelites, that they too would be exalting and praising God. Think with me on this. A noted enemy of Israel, the Assyrians, which Nineveh is the capital city, had come to faith and repentance from their evil ways and their false gods to Israel's God, the true and only living God. They no doubt now had to consider the fact that once an enemy, they are now friend. Instead of a foe, they are, they are now greeted in with much love and affection, or at least they should be. I think when we read of the moving of God's grace and mercy in people's hearts, one would think that there would be a great celebration and exaltation of God. One would think that there would be a cause and a movement to, to look at this repentance and in turn be able to teach and disciple and bring them into the fold. Why? Because now these outsiders are now insiders. You would think that Israel would bring them into the fold and help them grow in their understanding of the God that they turn to. And yet, what do we find the, the tool that God used, the prophet of God, Jonah, who was sent to proclaim God's message of judgment, what was he doing? He was sulking. He was angry. He was displeased with God and the outcome. To some degree, we read this narrative and we see the hand of God move in the hearts of repentant sinners who receive His grace and mercy we should be shocked when we get to chapter 4 and we see the response of Jonah. I mean, what in the world is wrong with him? 
He's acting like a selfish, spoiled child of God who needs a spiritual spanking. Isn't this the same prophet who experienced God's grace in his own life in chapter 2? Isn't this the same prophet who, who shouted hallelujahs to the, to the one who can only save him in chapter 2? You would think the one who had received grace and mercy from the hand of God would rejoice when he sees grace and mercies in other people's lives. But this was not the heart of Jonah. If anything, Jonah resents God and his grace. He had a displeasure for God who holds the key to salvation for all of human creation. And the question when he asked to ask Jonah is why? From the outside looking in, we clearly see the problem with Jonah is Jonah. Things didn't go his way. He needs a heart check. And by the way, in verse 4, God responds with a much-needed heart check with a rhetorical question that shuts his mouth. But before we jump ahead, I, I want to ask our hearts a question. Has there ever been a time where you think God should have done something according to your assessment of a situation and he does just the opposite? I mean, before we start throwing rocks at Jonah, maybe we should take the truth of God's scriptures as a mirror to our own soul and see if there's any sort of displeasure in how God is handling things. Why? Because I think sometimes as Christians, we, we think that, that we need to do a, a, an evaluation on the job of God. I've heard it. I, I've, I've had pleaded it myself that when situation arises and I don't like the outcome, I've heard it said, I've expressed my displeasure with God, thinking, God, don't you know what you're doing is wrong? They need justice. They need the wrath of God. Why are you showing mercy? And depending on the situation, I don't know about you, but I have tried to rewrite the outcome with prayer. God, I don't know if you realize this, but that guy is very sinful. Do you understand that he needs a little bit of your justice or maybe a lot of it? We think that our wisdom... And the outcome, according to our plans, are better than what God demonstrates. And if we are honest with our own hearts, I think that we can identify more with Jonah in this passage than with God. We often sulk, we often resent God's decisions in our Christian lives, instead of rejoicing when God shows up and does things contrary to what we think He should do, we, in turn, sulk. Instead of rejoicing when the omniscient God does far more better than what we think he should do. And what is remarkable to me as we study these verses that Jonah in his prayer to God has a good theology, which tells me something, that our theology is only solidified when life happens. Jonah expected God to bring brimstone, fire, damnation, and judgment. Jonah had a right theology. He knew that God was a God of judgment. 
he saw it, no doubt, within his own life with, with the nation of Israel, where, where God would bring his disciplining hand against the nation. And yet it's remarkable, Jonah also knew that God was gracious, merciful, kind, loving kindness. I mean, his theology was correct when he praised God, but yet the outcome wasn't what he desired it to be. I mean, he had good theology. He understands the character of God and how he can display them whenever he wants. Yet when, what Jonah wants, and get this, is so important. What Jonah wants is that he wants to control when God uses his attributes. He wants to, to rub uh, the proverbial genie bottle so as to display God only when he wants him to do what he wants him to do. I mean, I think we get this. We like, we love God who does according what we think. It's usually when God does something outside of what our theology tells us that we kind of go for a head spin, a heart spin. We're trying to figure out exactly why does God do what he does. I don't know about you, but we like to live the Christian life in a safe manner where God is predictable. But I don't know about you, when you read the Bible, God is anything but predictable. And I mean that in a good way. I mean, God shows his mercy when you think for sure there's going to need to come damnation. Such is the case with Nineveh. I push back from the study, and, and, and I think, beloved, if you haven't figured this out yet in your Christian life, God will do what most gives him the glory. That's not a sinful selfishness. That is every right of a holy and just God to display his goodness and kindness when he desires to do it. And by the way, he will not consult you when he does these things. He will do things that will shut the mouths of his enemies. He will do things to point to the reality that he is God and there is no one else like him. When God does God things, we should question, we shouldn't question, but we should rejoice. Be amazed and shout praises. And beloved, if that's not your outcome, then let me drive the stake into your heart just a little deeper with some verses that say that God is in control and you are not. Colossians 1.16, it reads this, For by him, speaking about Christ, all things were created both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things have been created through him and for him. Nehemiah 9.6, You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens. The heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to all of them, and the heavenly host bows down before you. Isaiah 42, 5, thus says, God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and its offspring, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. 
Revelation 4.11, Worthy are you, O Lord, and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. Isaiah 64.8, But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are the potter, and all of us are the work of your hand. And of course, the classic passage on this truth, Romans 9, where Paul says, you will say to me then, starting in verse 19, why does he still find fault? For who resists his will? On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? Or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use. What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath, to be able to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory, even us, whom he also called not from among Jews only, but also from among the Gentiles. I mean, this has always been the plan of God. The eternal plan of God is to redeem, to show His grace. I think it's funny in our own souls that when we demand justice, it's always pointed at somebody else and not ourselves. When we want God to use his divine justice and to hide his grace and mercy, it's an issue of our soul and how we think about God and how he should do our bidding. Yet who are we? The clay, the molded, to say to the one who molds, the one who creates the one who is eternal, the one who is infinite in all his wisdom. wisdom. Who are we to tell him what we think is best? I think a lot of this comes up when, when injustice is so clearly marked. When the guilt, you know, you need a trial, you, you see that this person is guilty of the sin that they have committed and transgressed against not only God, but to others. And yet you and I both know, understanding justice according to the Scriptures is far worse than any criminal judgment that a criminal can ever experience. The eternal purpose and plan of God is so far above us that we can barely even glimpse some of the reasons for which God is doing what God is doing. That's why Paul says in, in the book of Corinthians that, that the depths and the riches of, of God, who can truly understand them? I mean, God is so infinite and so big. Who is able to explain Him? But here's the beautiful thing, beloved. What he has revealed according to his word is surely what we must believe about him. And by the way, 
your theology tells you that God is good in every situation, that there is no evil in his sphere, and that God will do according to his character, which is always good and always for his glory. We can go to the bank on that. God is not a God who flips and decides and says, look, over here in Twin Falls, I'm going to do it this way. And over here in Russia, I'm going to do it another way. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And beloved, as we approach these verses, Lord willing, next week, just in light of where we're at, can I just give you an introduction? Trey says, you always give a long introduction. Well, here's a long introduction. What is often the solution for our resenting hearts is a great reminder of the character and attributes of God who is going to be true to himself and to his revelation. We can go to the bank on that. God will not act outside of what he has already declared and showed himself to be. That's why the Word of God is so precious to us and why we saturate our souls with it. For we know that God is going to do according to what He has displayed Himself to be. I think what's interesting, and and I would love for you to do a study this week, go in here, I mean, you look at verse verse 2 and just look at what's happening here. I mean, Jonah has the right theology, right? He says in verse 2, For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. And you think that when he saw that happen with 120,000 people, that he would rejoice. But what does he say in verse 3? I would rather die than live. I mean, you can just see even right theology can lead us to a wrong application so quick. I think this has already festered in Jonah's life. I think even in his calling in chapter 1 and what we saw there, the reality of all that, why he fled. But even right theology can lead to a wrong application. And I want you to search that this week. Where did he go amiss? We'll pick this up next week, Lord willing. We'll see exactly what's going on in this in his heart. And I just love our Lord. I mean, look what he says in verse 4. The Lord said, do you have good reason to be angry? Rhetorical question, but automatically has an answer. No, Jonah, you do not. You have no right to be angry. You have no right to apply your theology, which is right, wrongly. And by the way, I don't know about you, I've experienced as a child, I've done this as a dad, I've explained the reason of the wrongness of his heart to a child, and it's been expressed to me as well, being there on the other side of that, and yet God is so patient with Jonah here. I don't know about you, I'd kick him to the curb, wouldn't you? Disobedient once, disobedience twice, you don't get it. Give me a new prophet. And yet I think what God is doing us, he's teaching us a lot about ourselves and how we have this relationship with this mighty God and how that often finds its way into our souls 
when we think God should do something according to our wisdom. So pick that up, study it. We'll bring it out next week, Lord willing. Let us pray. Father, again, I just thank you for allowing us to start our study in looking at this chapter. We have praised you. We have rejoiced in your goodness and kindness through the ordinance of communion. We have offered a loving gift, noting your, your provisions to our souls. You've allowed us to greet one another in love and good deeds. All those are theologically right. And yet, Lord, not to do them in the right heart, with the right desire, can be sinful. Father, we are people who are not called to go through the motions. We are people called to embrace truth and in turn allow the truth to connect our souls to what it says. In other words, our, our head, this is not, and Christianity is not an educational experience, it is a life experience that takes the truth of God and lives it. And I pray for us this week, Lord. Just as we have been reminded that death is quickly at the door, may we live life with the abundant hope that we have in Christ Jesus. May we live life today, not guaranteed of tomorrow, in such a way that exhibits the fruit of the Spirit That we live in such a way that the world takes notice that the way that that person thinks and acts is totally different than I see in the world. So Father, I pray that you find us faithful this week. That we're taking life challenges and that we're trusting you each step of the way. That we embrace you. And worship you. And exalt you. And when we see the hand of God move, may we exalt you. Why? Because you are a God who is compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, and will relent from his judgment and show your grace. We pray all these things in the one who has redeemed us, the one that has saved us, the one who has brought us near. Jesus, to you alone be the glory, honor, and praise. We pray this and all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible.